0: hey guys thanks for watching online we are honored that you chose to give us this time we have people watching from all over the world if you're in the middle tennessee area please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online it should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community so come be a part of one of our local campuses and and if you live outside of our area. Please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, We will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good, healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, Let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching. And I look forward to seeing you really soon. We are, man, in this mad uh, dash, this sprint through the book of Exodus. And we have been covering more ground than Kentucky bluegrass, to be honest. I mean, we are covering a lot of ground quickly. Uh, It's so jam-packed. And we're going to cover a lot more ground today as we cover most of chapter 19, which is a very important chapter in the Bible. It's very important because uh, Exodus chapter 20 is one of the most famous passages in the Bible because it contains those 10 commandments. I mean, the the thing that Christians, -Christians, non-Christians, people of other religions, they talk about the 10 commandments. Well, that's in Exodus 20. So it's obviously a huge chapter. So 19 is important as well because it prepares the people for what God's about to say in chapter 19, uh, 20. I'm sorry, chapter 20. If you miss 19, you're going to probably miss 20, at least the relationship between grace and law. And so we want to get 19 down, and so 19's got some incredibly important things, and and we're going to uh, learn some things hopefully today from chapter 19 about grace and about law and about the relationship, and God's preparing the people uh, to receive what he's about to say. Because you know, uh, in 19, what you're going to see is God is going to reveal himself like he's never before revealed himself to the people. Okay, uh, he's spoken to Moses. Now he's going to really speak to the people, and he's going to reveal himself like never before. Because he wants them to know who he is at a deeper level. Why? Because how you perceive someone uh, is uh, greatly determines how you will receive what they tell you to do or who someone is greatly determines how you will receive what they tell you to do, right? I mean, for instance, if I'm speeding, and which is probable, if I'm speeding and I'm going down the road and some redneck yells out, slow down. I mean, listen, I don't receive that too well right? I mean, he's a redneck. I don't receive it too well. Without Jesus, I'd probably stop and go a little medieval, you know, but because of Jesus, I don't do that, but uh, I don't receive it well. But you have a cop, a policeman to tell me to slow down and I'm pumping the brakes, right? I receive what he says differently. Why? Because he has authority. Uh, because I, re, I have respect for his position, uh, you know, and, and, and all of that. Who someone is or how you perceive them greatly determines how you receive what they have to say, right? In 19, God is going to reveal himself to the people of Israel in an amazing way, uh, preparing them for what he's about to say because he wants them to know who he is so they will receive what he is about to tell them to do in 19, okay? Now, our bottom line for today is obey, from, uh, obey, uh, uh, obey not for grace, but from grace, or obey from grace, not for grace, It's a tongue twister, isn't it? Obey not for grace, but from grace. Now, that's a tongue twister. What's that mean? It means that you don't obey to get God's grace. You obey because he's already given it to you. You need to understand that because God's getting ready to go into a lot of verses. He's going to spend a lot of ink in the Bible here on law really not just 20, but the remainder of the next few sections is going to be about law. And you would have a tendency, as the people of Israel would have a tendency to go, well, is the law so important that I have to keep this to be right with God? And God says, no, uh, you keep it because you are right with me, okay? Now, I want you to understand some ground rules as we go through this. If you could perfectly keep the law, you would be saved. If you could be perfect, you would be saved. But no one can. Since Adam, no one can. Adam sinned, Eve sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, all of us were born sinners. We were born with a bent away from God with no ability to keep the law dead, okay? And so if we could keep it, we would be saved, but we can't, okay? So God didn't give the Israelites this law so that they could keep it and be saved. He gave it to teach them how to live as saved people, okay? And so, so we obey Uh, from grace, not for grace. All right. So let's, let's dive in and look at verse uh, one through six of chapter 19. Crazy important chapter. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the uh, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, this is hang on to this verse because we're going to come back and say oh yeah but why this okay now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, the day of the new moon, uh, after the third day of the new moon, I'm sorry, after they had left Egypt, basically is giving us a chronological time period, uh, telling us where they were in their journey. They're basically seven weeks out of, Israel, of Egypt, right? They are 50 days from the Passover. Now, 50 days from the Passover is where we get the Pentecost. Penta means 50. And just to give you some uh, New Testament significance here, uh, Jesus was crucified on Passover. Now, you remember Passover is when God came through Egypt, took the firstborn, uh, and, but he passed over the homes marked by the blood of the lamb uh, after the Israelites had sacrificed lamb, consumed it, put the blood on the door. He passed over it, right? They celebrate it to this day, Passover, how God brought them out of Egypt. Now, Passover is a celebration of how God brought them out of Egypt. Now, when they got the law at Sinai, uh, that is Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Well, Jesus and God's economy— Jesus was crucified on the very day they're celebrating Passover remember they're having the Passover meal on Friday uh, uh, on that uh, I'm sorry uh, on on Thursday then on uh, he's he's killed on Friday he is he is murdered on the Passover then 50 days later the, all the Jews were in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost the giving of the law to Moses on the mountain and what happened the Holy Spirit came and indwelled God's people so as God and the mountain gave the law to the people uh, at Pentecost he comes and Christ on our heart, the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, so j- that's just to giving you a little context of what's going on here. Okay. That you can see backwards from the New Testament. So it's Pentecost. God is getting ready to give the law. Okay. That gives us a little chronology. They are 50 days out of Egypt, 50 days uh, out of Passover. And Israel sets up camp here at Mount Sinai for 11 months. And these 11 months are going to be some of the most significant 11 months in the history of the world, not just for Israel, but for us. I mean, for for the whole world, right? I mean, think about it. Israel is going to journey through the wilderness and wander for uh, 38 years after this. And we know a glimpse of what happened in those 38 years. But we are going to know a lot about what happens in the next 11 months. As a matter of fact, so much happens of significance in the next 11 months that it takes the rest of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and through chapter 10 of Numbers to let us know what's going on here. Okay, so this is a significant portion of the next 11 months of Israel's life and it has major import for us. It has major significance and we learn major things, some incredible things and important things in chapter 19. First of which is this and I, I want you to remember that one of the things that God's teaching us before he gives us the law is that grace precedes law okay he's teaching us grace precedes law uh that uh, in, in other words here, here's what didn't happen Moses didn't show up in Israel and say hey y'all that, that's southern Moses right hey y'all God's giving me these 10 things you keep these 10 things and he's gonna save you he's gonna bring you out of Egypt that's not what happened God brought him out of Egypt and then give him the, the 10 commandments Right? Grace happened and then law happened. Grace is the foundation. Obedience is the response. Okay? Grace is the foundation. Obedience is the response. Grace precedes law. So we don't obey for grace, we don't obey to get saved. We obey from grace because we are. We don't work for salvation, we work because we are saved. God's really wanting to establish that because he's getting ready to spend a lot of time on law. Okay. So he reminds them, he says, Moses, remind the people, uh, how I, what I did to the Egyptians, remind them of what I did to the Egyptians. And what he was talking about is how he turned the, the Nile into blood and the frogs and the boils, the gnats and man, the, the Passover, the taking of the firstborn, uh, remind them of what I did at the Red Sea and brought it down killing them. Remind them of what I did to the Egyptians. And I think he's reminding them because he wants Israel to remember they, he did that to the Egyptians. And really he, that's what we deserve too. God didn't save Israel because they were better than the Egyptians. He didn't save them because they earned it. He didn't save them because they deserved it. He saved them by his grace, by his mercy. That's what I did. That was judgment on the on the Egyptians that you deserved, but it's by mercy and grace that I saved you. And so, that helps ground us as believers to know that we're saved by God's grace, by faith through by grace through faith. We're saved by God's grace, right? It is his grace. Th- then he reminds them that they didn't do anything for it. He says, Remind them that I bore them on eagle's wings. I bore them on eagle's wings. What do you mean by that? I did it. You didn't earn it. You didn't uh, mount a coup. You didn't, you know, undergo some, uh, uh, you know, deep secret warfare training and, uh, and, and finally, you know, uh, go in and, and go all Navy SEAL on the Egyptian special forces and win your way out. I didn't wait on you to come out and seek me, I came to you. I came to you, and I brought you out, okay? Why is God reminding them of these things? He's reminding them of these things because he's getting ready to spend a significant portion of the Old Testament, really, on law. you got the Ten Commandments in 20, and then you've got all these, you know, you've got basically the Constitution in 20, and then you've got all these other laws that come out of that uh, in Leviticus, in mean, the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, through Numbers 10, and he wants them to understand the relationship between grace and law. He wants to make sure they understand you don't work to be saved. Salvation is not by works. It's not by works plus faith. It is by grace through faith. It is by grace through faith. God saved you by grace. So therefore, the, uh, uh, the law is not the means of salvation. It is the goal of salvation okay? And the law is not the means, it's the goal. In other words, God saves you by grace, then he gives you the law, he give us the law to tell us how to be his people, right? This is how you are my people. This is how you live in a way that honors me. This is the way my people live. So grace precedes law. You don't obey for grace, you obey from grace, okay? You obey from grace. And then so you would come in and say, okay, I understand that. We preach through Romans. Remember that? I understand that. But verse 5 seems to have some conditions. I mean, verse 5, there's some conditionality, isn't there? Because in verse 5, he said, matter of fact, I, I want to read it because I, I really, here, here's what it says in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed, if, there's an if there, if you will indeed obey my voice if you will obey my voice, let me me put it up here. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. This is incredible because so much here, I could preach all day on this. I mean, God says, look, I own everything and you're my treasured possession. You, his people, I mean, everything in the world God created. His people are His treasured possession. We could preach all day on that, but I want you to notice. I, I've just said salvation is by God. It's monergistic. It's all God. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. It, it, it is. It is not your effort. It is not. Uh, you know. Uh, it, it's not your intellect. It, it, it is all God, right? God chose you. God saved you. He didn't wait for Israel to come out, Egypt to come out. He brought them out to Him. This is a, a symbolic analogous of of of, of how God. Saved Save you spiritually, right? But you, you say here, but, th- but he says, if you do this, then you shall be my people. It sounds like he's putting conditions. Well, if you keep this law, then, then you'll be saved. But that's not what he means. Uh, that, that, that's, it sounds, con- uh, if, you, if you just casually read it, then, and, and don't ever casually read scripture, uh, but if you casually read it, it, it would seem that there's a condition there. But here's what I want you to understand. God has already saved them. He has already set them aside to be his people. It's his purpose for Israel to be his people, okay? So what he's saying here is he's not saying, if you do this, you'll be something you're not, because they were already. They were already his people. They were already saved. He's not saying, if you do this, you'll be something you're not. He said, if you do this, you'll be something you already are. Okay, now let me give you an example to maybe help 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 bring that some clarity in your mind. Uh, you know, when we counsel, and sometimes I do counseling, and sometimes when I'm counseling with a young dude or an old dude, because sometimes dudes are dudes, and sometimes dudes don't act like dudes, right? And, and so and sometimes when I'm counseling with a dude, you know what I have to say? I, it just simply boils down to, bro, it's time to be a man, okay? It's time to be a man. Now, what do I mean by that? Do I mean that that 40-year-old, 30-year-old, 25-year-old, 60-year-old is not a man? No. I'm saying you need to act like it. Act like it. That's what God is saying. When you do these things, you're going to act like my people. You're going to act like who you already are. Okay? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm getting ready to give you all these things, and when you do them, you're going to act like who you are. This This is how you reveal who you are. Okay? And so, uh, so as, as as we look at this, I, he, basically uh, he's saying salvation or the law isn't the means of salvation; it is the goal. How are you, my people? Okay, how, you're going to be who you are. You're going to be my people. You're going to be a chosen priesthood, a royal nation, a people belonging to me, a holy nation, a people belonging to me. How are you going to do that? By having no gods before me. How are you going to do that by not having any idols? How are you going to do that by being faithful to your wife? How are you going to do that? By not coveting what my neighbor has. By not lying. By not stealing. That, that's how I'm going to be his people. So that, that's what he's saying here, right? Is, is He says, grace precedes law. God saved you. It's by grace. It's not works. So before I give you these things, I need you to understand Israel. Don't, don't misunderstand this whole next section of scripture that we, we call scripture day that they were living. This whole next section, this next 11 months of your life, uh, I'm not saying do these things to be right with me. I'm saying you do these things because you are. Be who you are. Be who you are. Okay. And so, so in first Peter First Peter, listen to this. If, if, if this wasn't coincidence. Peter's reflecting here and here's what he says. But you are, he's talking not to Israel. Who's he talking to? You. Well, he's talking to the first century Christians specifically and to all Christians because the Bible is God's word, which means it's good for all people, all places, all times, right? It's absolute, right? So he's talking to you, Christians, So what God said to Israel, because you see, we, uh, uh, you know, the church didn't replace Israel. In my uh, my understanding, the way I interpret scripture, the church uh, is a continuation of Israel. There's a true Israel, and there is those who are Israel that is not the true Israel. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we, and he's talking to the church, and here's what he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Sounds just like what Moses said, doesn't it? You are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he says all this thing. Now look at this. Why? That you may proclaim his excellencies. Out of Why? Out of him who called you out of darkness. He didn't say, you are all this so that you can tell people about him because you worked your way out and you need to help other people pull themselves up pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and work hard enough and be as smart as you. No, he did it. He saved you and made you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why? So that you may proclaim his excellencies to the world. See, that's what he told Israel. He says, I'm calling you. All through the Old Testament, God said, you are a light to the nations. You are a light to the nations. I'm setting you aside so that the world may know who I am. Okay? So that the world may know who I am. Israel missed the boat on that. They be, it's all about us. It's all about us. We're God's favorite. We're God's pet. It's all about us. That was never what God called them to be as his pet. He set them aside to represent him to the world so that the world would know who he is. That's what he's done with Christians. Right? And so what we learn right here in, in, in the first uh, six verses is, folks, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian because God chose you and God saved you. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You weren't good enough for it. You, you didn't get smart enough. It, it, it meant God saved you every day of your life. You need to say, God, you saved me. Thank you for saving me. I'm not worthy of your salvation. Uh, you are God. I'm not. Uh, I, I deserve judgment, but you gave me grace and I honor you. I live you. I want to bless you. That ought to be your response, right? That ought to be how you live. Now, let's look at verses seven through nine forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, uh, I'm I'm sorry, uh, yeah, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, uh, this is Exodus 7, uh, 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 I'm sorry, 19, 7 through 9. Moses is going up and down the mountain. He's ascending up. He's coming down. He's going up. He's coming down. What he's doing is he's telling the people what God said. Totally get that. We totally understand that, right? The people need to know what God said. But he's doing something that sounds a little crazy. He's going back up the mountain. He's telling God what the people said. Now, if you read that, again, not so casually, and don't ever read the Bible casually, uh, if you read that, you have to stop and go, oh, 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 oh I understand God t- Moses telling people what God said because sometimes I need help. But why is he telling God what the people said? God's God. God knows everything. I mean, God's not wondering. I wonder what Pat thinks about this. I can't wait till somebody tells me. He's not wondering what you're thinking right now. He knows it. He, he's not wondering what you did last night. Or he not, he's not wondering what you're going to do tonight because he knows it already. He knows everything. It's called omniscience, right? He, 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 it means he knows everything. So he knew what the people were saying. So what's going on? Why did Moses put that in there? It's significant if you put it in there. Every word of the Lord is significant. So it's not there just to be there. It's there for significance. Here's what's going on. This is a covenant. This is a covenant. And in a covenant, there's two parties right? And there's a mediator. And a mediator is, 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 you know, representing and sharing the covenant details. What's going on? That's what Moses is playing. It's a ritual that there's a covenant established, right? And, 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 and Moses is the mediator. Now, here's what we learn from this, right? We learn, as we learned in one, 1 through 6, that it's God who saves. But here's what we learn in 7 through 9. But you still have a responsibility to respond to his lordship, You still have a responsibility to respond in faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace you are saved through faith, right? It is by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, so no one can boast about it. This is a gift, right? It's a gift. So God's grace is a gift and faith is a gift from God to you, you know, without God's initiation in your life, as he told them in Israel, uh, you didn't come out to me. I came to you. Without God's initiation in your life, uh, you, 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 you would never have the ability. You were dead, Paul says in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. And so, therefore, you would never have the ability to respond. But God convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. And when the Holy Spirit convicts and, and, and he begins to work on your heart, then we respond in faith. And that's a gift from God. We respond in faith. We respond to his lordship and we respond and surrender to his lordship. That's what we see the people do. The people said, when Moses came down, we will do it. They responded. God initiated, they responded, right? They initiated, God responded. And so, so uh, what does this uh, uh, tell us uh, here about salvation? Because you see, God re- removing Israel or bringing Israel out of Egypt uh, in salvation uh, was about their slavery, but it tells us a lot about our, uh, uh, our, our spiritual salvation. God saves me, but I have to respond. I have to respond. I have a responsibility. You had to respond in faith. You had to respond to the lordship. You had to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, now that's what the, that's what the Israelites uh, had to do. They said, we will do it. They responded in faith. And so a saving relationship with God doesn't just happen by well, believing God exists, getting baptized, becoming a part of a church, going when it's convenient. Uh, that, that, those things doesn't make one a Christian. That's not a, necessarily a, a, a saving faith. Saving faith happens is when you embrace the covenant that's mediated not by Moses, but by Jesus. And when you surrender to his lordship, when you surrender, God offers grace and we surrender to his lordship. Now, Now, uh, here's Here's what happens in our, in our world today. There, there are a lot of, of people, many claimed to be saved today. There's many who self identify as Christian. Uh, and uh, there, there, there's many who, who self identify uh, as a Christian and claim Jesus, who are not true Israel, who are not true Christians. They would be what we consider a cultural Christian. Now, let me, let me define that so you clearly understand what I mean by cultural Christian, right? Uh, uh, a cultural Christian is someone who, Claims Jesus. Maybe they self-identify with Jesus because maybe they got baptized when they were in the seventh, eighth grade. Maybe their maybe their mama was a Christian or granddaddy was a Christian. Uh, They live in a Christian nation, maybe Uh, uh, air quotes. They live in a Christian nation, maybe maybe because when they filled out a survey, there was Buddhist, there was Muslim, there was you know all these other religions, uh, Christian, other, uh, and so I'm really I, I don't know, but I know my granddaddy was a Christian. I'm in a Christian country, so maybe I identify as a Christian. Okay. Or maybe it's because I come to church. Maybe it's because I was baptized, but they have no real saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They have no real saving relationship with Jesus Christ. All of Israel that come out of Egypt did not go to heaven. Just so you know. Why? How do I know that? Because Israel was saved spiritually the same way you are saved spiritually in the same way I'm saved spiritually by faith in Jesus, by faith in the Messiah. We know him as Jesus Christ, right? We look back. They looked forward. They were saved by faith in the Messiah. They were not saved by keeping the law. They couldn't keep the law perfectly. They were saved as they looked forward in faith. Moses will be in heaven when we get to heaven. We know that. Moses didn't get into the promised land, right? But he will be in heaven when we're in heaven. But we don't know all the Israelites that will be there and all of them that weren't. It's not like all Jews go to heaven. No, only a small minority right? Only a, th- only a, a thread is, is what, we're, and, and, and just like all Israel is not true Israel, all the church, all Christians are not true Christians, not true Israel. Many are cultural. Many claim Jesus because, man, that's what we do, especially in the South, right? I mean, that, that's not as much the case anymore, but that's, that's, that's what we do. We sort of identify with church. We identify with Jesus, but we don't really, how do we know then? Because you're, you're saying, okay, well, how do I know? How do we know? Well, here's what the giving of the law makes clear. The giving of the law makes clear that those who surrender, right, to his lordship, lordship means boss, by the way. So when we say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, what I want you to know is there can't be Jesus was my Lord and now he's my Savior or he was my Savior and now he's my Lord because Lord means boss. And surrendering to Jesus means you're the boss of my life. I'm coming under your authority. The giving of the law means those who truly follow him are under the authority and come under the authority of his word. So here's how we know people. Anybody can claim Jesus. Anybody can claim Jesus. I was out talking in the hallway uh, uh, between services with a guy who's been a part of our church for a long, long time. Talked about some guys who uh, years ago were very involved in the church, and years ago, they haven't been involved in any church for years. I mean, way, way off the grid. And he said, Man, they were good Christian men. I said, No, they weren't good Christian men. They weren't Christian men at all. Okay. They weren't, they were not Christian. Why? Well, Pat, you can't judge. No, I know only God knows their heart, but here's what I do know. Those who love the Lord come under his authority and, and make his authority the boss of their life. Okay. So if we don't do that, then we're probably not true believers. And you say, hold on a minute, Pat, don't hear me to say that means you're perfect. No one hits it out of the park. Moses didn't hit it out of the park. I don't hit it out of the park. I mess up every day. I sin every day. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're hitting it out of the park. But it means that Jesus' word is your authority and your heart is bent toward Jesus. And when you sin, you, I mean your heart wants to please God. That's his word. And when I don't, it breaks my heart. When I don't honor him, it breaks my heart. Folks, if you're at peace with sin, you're at war with God. You're at war with God. So, so here's what we learn, okay? What we learn is it's God who saves. I can't take credit for it. I can't, I can't You know, pat myself on the back. I can't see myself as better than anyone else as a Christian because I, I, I was intellectually uh, astute enough to assent to it. Uh, man, I, I, I didn't do anything. I'm not better than anyone else there, but for the grace of God go I, okay? It was all God who saved me, but I have to respond and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's God's economy that we see in scripture. have to respond and submit to the lordship of of Jesus Christ, right? And so then in 10 through 13, here's what we see. 19, 10 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying... Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Now, Moses said, folks, God's going to reveal himself in three days, so you need to consecrate yourself. Now, consecrate is a word that means to set yourself exclusively aside for the Lord. Okay. And he tells them to consecrate themselves in uh, a few different, he says a few different things about consecration that are symbolic. Okay. I say that because one, he tells them to put on, uh, you know, uh, before they go meet with the Lord, uh, that they should uh, clean their garments they should wash their clothes. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. Remember, I said it's symbolic. This doesn't mean, you know, going back to the age old, well, you got to put on your Sunday best to come to church, which was, you know, I mean, that's, that's not, I, you know, God doesn't care what you wear to church uh, as long as it's appropriate. Uh, we don't care what you wear to church as long as it's appropriate, okay? I mean, be appropriate. Uh, if you want to wear shorts, wear shorts. Just make sure they're not military shorts, high and tight, right? I mean, uh, uh, I mean it, you know, dress, Appropriate. We don't care what you wear. That's not what it's saying. What's it saying? It's a symbolic of a holy life. Clean your garments. Live a holy life. Live a holy life. Live a holy life. Let your life be wholesome. Let it be holy before the Lord. Guard your life. Guard your actions. Guard your heart. Guard your life. And then he tells them to clean your garments. In other words, make sure your life is holy. And then... He tells them to be ready. He gives them the the three days, all right, on the third day, right, on the third day. And he tells them to be ready. They're watching. They're preparing. He even tells them no man shall have sex with a woman, meaning his wife. And so you'd say, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know if this is for me, Christianity, you know. Well, what I want you to understand is, remember, it's symbolic, and I'm going to go through that. Uh, uh, God created sex. This is not a prohibition to sex. Can I get an amen, guys? There you go. Uh, And ladies. Uh, So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Listen to some of our series on sex. I mean, sex between Christian sex is the greatest sex because it's holy and pure. It's, it's the way God designed it. This has nothing to do with Prohibition. Sex. What's the deal here? What he's talking about is you need to be focused. The symbolism is I want you focused on me. I want you focused on, on the fact that I'm returning, I'm coming, okay? And the third day, I'll be here. Focus, live a holy life, be focused on, on me. And then he set boundaries around the mountain. This is your boundary. No man can touch it. No, no animal, no beast can go or they'll die. What's that all about? Again, it's 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 symbolism. He's setting up because here here's what happened. As I said, Israel was saved the same way we're saved. Moses is saved the same way I'm saved. Faith in the Messiah, okay. Faith in the Messiah. But here's what Moses didn't have that I have. You see, we love the fact, and we always say, "Man, I wish I was Moses and had a cloud, uh, 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 you know, of smoke uh, uh, in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night," and, but I've got something Moses didn't have, and that's the Holy Spirit of God living within me. You see, Moses didn't have that. The the Old Testament saints did not have that. Why? Because sin had not yet been atoned for. They had faith in the Messiah, but the Messiah had not yet died for the sin uh, that that separated them from God. Okay? The, 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 The Messiah had not yet died. See, Jesus lived a perfect life, completely fulfilling this law that God gave. And therefore making himself, uh, when he died, acceptable, an acceptable sacrifice for my sin and for the sins of Moses and for Adam and for everyone, you know, till the day he returns who believes in him. So Moses, the sin had not yet been atoned for. So Moses uh, did not, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell the people. Right, and so what he would do is he would set up, as we're going to see uh, later, he will set up tabernacle laws, and the tabernacle was, uh, uh, you know, that they uh, set up uh, like their church building, and they set it up. That's where God's presence would reside with the people. Now they knew that God wasn't limited to the tabernacle, but it was the, the whole thing was a symbol of His presence residing with the people because sin had not yet been atoned for. That's why they offered the animal sacrifices as a symbol. Right, so. So what happens is God is going to tabernacle the mountain. He's going to dwell upon the mountain. And anyone that touched it would die because he's holy. We're not. And even though they were his people, even though they would have faith, those who believe in him, not all Israel were saved, okay? But those who had faith believed in him, the Holy Spirit did not dwell. And so... Uh, so when the tabernacle was, was erected and the tabernacle laws were given, there was a holy of holies. You'll remember this perhaps there was a holy of holies and only the high priest could go into the holy of holies and only one day a year, the day of Yom Kippur. And, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the, the Jews still celebrate this. Uh, matter of fact, I've been invited to go in October, uh, to the Jewish synagogue in Brentwood. And when they celebrate Yom Kippur and go on their stage with a panel and talk about how we Christians deal with sin, I said, I, accept okay so we're going to talk about how we christians deal with sin because that was what the day of atonement was all about yom kippur right and so so um so what we have here is the mountain god is saying here's the boundaries don't touch it or you'll die because he's holy we're not okay he, he's holy we're not now as we uh, as we look at this we need to understand jesus is now atoned for our sin so, those of us who are saved today, Jesus atoned for our sin. The Holy Spirit resides within our soul. Our sin's been atoned for. We commune with God daily. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, you will see a great, this is a great supplemental passage. Go to Hebrews 12 and read Hebrews 12. It talks about Jesus. It talks about the mountain. Uh, you know, It's not Mount Sinai, it's Mount Zion. I mean, it, it, it talks about Jesus and the fulfillment of, I mean, it's an amazing supplement, okay? So he tells them to consecrate themselves, okay? He tells them to consecrate themselves. And, and let's go on and look at 16 through 19, and then we're gonna wrap this up uh, of, of the things that we've learned. He says, on the morning of the third day, There were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain. There were thunders and there were lightning. Now imagine yourself in a situation. Uh, You know, all these years ago, you're before a mountain and there's, I mean, it's like thundering, lightning, bad, uh, a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people uh, in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, in Mount Sinai, was wrapped in smoke. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. I mean, man, uh, imagine put yourself at that at that situation. This description on the mountain is amazing and it's terrifying because God's presence is amazing and terrifying. God's presence is amazing and terrifying. Think about the scene here. Moses brings them out, and it's like an eruption of a volcano meets a thunderstorm with lightning everywhere, with a thick cloud of smoke covering the mountain, with a raging wildfire blazing, and an earthquake. I mean, man, they're on sensory overload. I mean, you, can you imagine Hollywood doing something with that? I mean, it's just like, are you kidding what they're seeing? And on top of all that, there's this loud trumpet blast. Now, this trumpet blast was probably more than likely a shofar. And a shofar, if you've been to Israel, uh, a, a shofar is this ram's horn. You know, they took and it's a woo, and they blew that. You like that? Woo, they, they took that ram's horn and they blew it. And what that meant was it was, it was uh, the sound that preceded the arrival of a king or a very, very, you need to hear this important announcement, okay? So you see what's going on. They come out, and there's this incredible, mighty processional coming across the sky. Lightning and thunder and volcano and, man, earthquaking and earth uh, quaking and, I mean, smoke and the thunder. King God takes his throne and tabernacles the mountain. You think he's got the people's attention? You think when Moses goes up on that mountain and gets those 10 Commandments when he comes down, do you think the people in any way would think, oh, Moses just went up and thought these things up? Do you think, oh, Moses, that's your interpretation. Oh, Moses, that's what you think. No, they knew Moses came down with with 10 Commandments that were given by God himself. This is from God. Do you think those people took that casually? Do you think that they stood at the base of that mountain? And do you think when, do you think they took that casually? They're like, oh, wow. No, they didn't take it casually. And that's, that's what we learn from this. What we learn from this, folks, listen, this is amazing. What we learn is salvation is all God. Thank God if you're saved because he saved you. But here's what we also learn. You have to respond. You have to respond. Can I explain that to, No, you have to respond. You have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Come under the authority of his word. Come under the authority of his word. You're not going to be perfect, but you have to respond and come under the authority of his word. And here's what we, here's the final thing that I think God is telling us. You can't be casual and flippant about this relationship. The people couldn't stand at the base of that mountain and be casual and flippant about their relationship. Man, they knew this is important stuff. This is not something I can just be casual with. This is life. Yet today... So many Christians are so casual in their relationship with God, so flippant about their relationship with God. I mean, so many people who claim to be Christians, and maybe they're maybe maybe it's cultural Christians, and I don't know, okay. But so many people are so casual and so flippant that they claim to be Christian, and man, I just whenever I, when, I mean, come to church, whenever they can, whenever it's convenient. If I can, man, if I can be there today, maybe if I feel good, but I can always go next. I mean, just casual about being with God's people. They're casual about the word. Moses, the children of Israel didn't have God's word. They were hearing God for the first time speaking to them. Moses was the mediator who gave them the word. Now we've got the word. We've got the Bible. They didn't have that. Think of the benefits, the privileges that we have that Moses and the Israelites didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have his word that, that, that is the revelation of himself. We have his word. Yet so many Christians are so flippant and casual about the word. We have his word in our pocket. Man, I've got, I can't tell you how many Bibles in, in this. I've got it on my iPad. I've got it on my shelves. The best-selling book of all time. The least read book probably in the last few years of all time. I mean, so many Christians are just so casual and flippant with God's word. They're flippant with God's people, with the church. I mean, so many Christians are like, man, they come to church and it's like, oh man, if, uh, okay, I didn't like that, I'll go bounce over here and I'll bounce. Listen, we're casual. We're casual with God's word when it comes to sex. Yeah, but that's what, I mean, in our world, that's what, that's what you say it is. And who are you? You're casual when it comes to God's word about money. We're casual with God's word about gossip. We're casual with God's word. And he says, consecrate yourself, Christian. We're casual, and God's saying we can't be casual. We can't be casual. And so Moses reveals God's word, and if the people listened to it and did it, man, they'd live, and if they didn't, they'd die. Today, the word's written. Are we passionate about the word? And here's another thing we learn about Moses, is Moses was the mediator, but today, Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the mediator between the covenant. It's Jesus who lived the law perfectly that Moses could not do, that Adam did not do, Abraham could not do, Moses could not do because of his sin sin nature, Job could not do, David could not do, Solomon could not do, Ruth could not do, Mary, the mother of Jesus, could not do, you cannot do. I can't keep that law. I can't keep it. That's my nature. My heart was born sinful. I've chosen to sin. I can't keep it. But Jesus did. Jesus negotiated. Jesus was the mediator. And that's why in John it says that I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only Jesus. You see, it's not Jesus and uh, and, and works. It's not Jesus and being smart enough. It's not Jesus and and anything else. It's not Jesus and Muhammad. It's not uh, uh, Jesus and, you know, man, the trees and loving this and that. It's Jesus. Without Jesus, you don't make it to God. Without Jesus, you're not right with God. Without Jesus, you go to hell. I mean, then people would say, oh, that's, that's unloving in our world today. That's unloving. Well, I, I wholly disagree. You see, I, I, what I think is, is, man, if my son is playing with an axe and he's getting ready to hit his foot, it would be so unloving for me to just let him do it. But loving would be, say, son, if you hit your foot with the axe, you're going to chop it off. You know, that's loving, isn't it? And so what's loving is is when I really believe in the core conviction of my heart that the Bible is God's word and it tells me without Jesus you go to hell. What's really loving is for me to tell you that. That's what's really loving. That's what's really loving. Right? And so Jesus is the mediator. And so we learn a lot we learn a lot from chapter 19 before he gives us the 10 commandments. And so we're going to talk about that next week, but for today what you need to understand is if you're a Christian, thank God because you, you, you owe your salvation to Jesus, not, not any of your own efforts. You owe you every day, God, thank you that you saved me. I don't deserve it. The Israelites didn't deserve it. Thank you that you saved me. If you're not, you need to understand you'll never earn it. You can't be good enough. You know, we, we want to look. If you ask most people, are you going to heaven? Most people would, some people would just say, no, I'm probably not. Most people would say, yeah, if you ask them why. You know what they say? Even a lot of Christians, you know what they say? Well, because I, I, I've lived a good life and then me- me- what's the measure of good who sets the standard of good well I well I, I can look at other people's life and I measured against other people's life and I'm better than them so I think I'm I'm, I'm on the good side of the curve well no the me- the standard is Jesus <laughs> well, I don't measure up so it's not about what I do so if you're not a believer and uh, if you're not a Christian you'll never earn it it's only God Okay, if you are a Christian, you had to respond. You had to respond to this lordship. You got to respond. We can't be casual in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't be casual and flippant. We need to be holy. We need to be a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. It gives our life significance. You know what a priest is? A priest represents God to the people. We represent God to the people. All Christians have mission. All Christians have significance. Some amazing things God's letting them know. This is who I am. It's terrifying. It's amazing. It's terrifying because I want you to know who I am because I'm getting ready to tell you how to be my people. You obey not for grace, you obey from grace. You obey from, you don't work because you to get salvation, you work because you are. Grace is the foundation, obedience is the response. Obedience is the response. This is how you be God's people. How, don't have any other gods before me, whether it's a carved idol, whether it's a piece of green paper with a dead president's head on it, whether it's a trophy, whether it's a job, whether it's sex, whether it's a pleasure, don't have any of God's before me. Don't worship idols. Be faithful to your wife. Don't lie. He begins to outline, this is how you're my people. Don't be flippant with your relationship with me. Don't forsake the gathering together in Ephesians, as some are doing. You know, he gives us these rules to be his people. So, we can't be flippant. So, Travis is going to come out, and as Travis comes out, uh, he's going to lead us, and we always have a response time, and our response time is for this it's for you to respond to what God said. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings. That's a response. I've already given, okay? I, I, it comes out automatically for me. It's set up on a computer. I've already given. So, this is the time when you thank God that He allowed you to have what you have to give, right? You respond that way. Some of you are going to respond by saying, God, thank you that you saved me. I don't deserve it. God, you're awesome. Some of you are gonna respond by, because you think, man, maybe I've been a little flippant in my relationship with God. Maybe I've been a little casual. I haven't been taking his word seriously. I haven't been, and, and you need to maybe confess that and repent of that. Some of you need to just praise the Lord for what he's doing in your life. All of us respond differently because God, the Holy Spirit's telling each of you something. You respond in obedience to what he's telling you. Travis will lead us to worship. He'll lead us to sing. And then you respond, and then uh, Travis will dismiss us. All right? Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you, Father, that you are a God who saves even when we don't deserve it. God, thank you that your word is very clear that we need to respond to in obedience to your, to in faith to your Lordship and obedience and surrender and obedience to your Lordship. And God, I thank you that, uh, Lord, what we do in this life matters. Thank you that our decisions matter. And God, I thank you that, uh, Lord, we would choose today to live in a way that represents you as your people. I pray that God, we would not be flippant and casual about our faith, that God, we would look back and realize, God, you brought us across the Red Sea. You brought us from slavery in Egypt and you've brought us across the Red Sea. And God, help us to keep your word and be your people. God, not so that we can be your people, but because we are. Lord, I pray that today you would open the eyes of those who or don't know you. Bring conviction into their hearts. Help them to respond to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.